tornadoes to hurricanes, blizzards, and everything in between, you're listening to the Stormfront Freaks podcast. Stormfront Freaks are former television meteorologist Mark Massaro, atmospheric science graduate and skyworn storm spotter Brady Harris, digital meteorologist and weather producer on the Weather Channel app Dina Knightley, former on-camera meteorologist at the Weather Channel Kim Cunningham, Emmy-winning storm chaser and photographer Chris Sanner, and I'm your announcer and Skywarn Network coordinator Mark Johnson. Now, here's the moderator of the Stormfront Freaks podcast, Skywarn storm spotter and chaser Phil Johnson. All right, hey everybody, welcome to the most entertaining weather podcast on your listening and viewing device. This is the Stormfront Freaks podcast, of course. Uh, but if you're a first-time listener, thanks for stopping by. Be sure to go to stormfrontfreaks.com, check out our library of previous shows and famous guests from the weather industry. Uh, tonight, this is episode 55. And for the first time, we're finally getting an emer- emergency manager on our show. So we've got Ashley Morris. Uh, she's an EM uh, down here in, in South Central Texas. She is also the podcast co-host with our friends, Carolina Weather Group. Uh, but we'll be discussing with Ashley the topic of Vost Groups. And if you're like me at first, you might have thought, well, what the heck is that? Well, we'll be talking about that. Uh, we're also going to cover um, communicating with the public following hurricanes and other disasters. Uh, and then don't don't forget, stick around for our lightning round, our WX resources, weather fools, and whatever the three of us can can also come up with uh, tonight. And I'll, I'll talk about that as well. Before we get to that, let's share some news with you. Uh, first and foremost, we, we have come to a decision on our new... A podcast song. So if you've been listening the last few episodes, uh, we've received entries from Gabe Cox and Brett Epstein. Uh, we played those both last episode. We've decided, here's what we're going to do. We're actually going to be uh, using both of those songs starting soon. So Brett's, we're going to use his for the intro, and Gabe's is going to be used for our outro, kind of similar to how we have two different songs uh, currently. We actually have two different uh, tunes if you listen all the way through. We wanted to get all of Gabe's song and his sound effects in the show. So if you actually listen to his song, um, it sets up better because there's some drinking sound effects at the end as well as the beginning. There's there's like a cool uh, warning siren. Ashley, you'd appreciate that. There's a warning siren kind of in the middle that's that's pretty cool. But we wanted to be able to play that at the end, get its entirety there. And then we're going to be using Brett's. It's it's a banging song that works great as a start off and also works great to allow uh, the voiceover that we'll have uh, at the beginning as well. So we'll you'll be hearing those uh, soon, probably uh, in the next couple episodes. We'll have those all edited and ready to go. So uh, thanks to both Brett and Gabe for helping us out there. Also, check out the latest weather-themed fashions and accessories at helicitydesigns.com. Uh, If you're a weather fan and you're listening to us, I'd be shocked that you're not aware of uh, (laughs) HelicityDesigns.com. But while you're there, check out the exclusive line of Stormfront Freaks podcast shirts, hats, and drinking containers. Uh, There's there's more to come, too, along that line. Uh, Justin's been great. But here's the key. Listeners, you guys can get a 5% discount on your entire order when you use the code PODCAST, P-O-D. C-A-S-T. Use that code at checkout. Uh, your entire order is going to be 5% off. You can find that all at helicitydesigns.com. So let's, uh, we're going to go ahead and introduce the team. Uh, so, so many of you are, are, may or may not be familiar with the fact. I'm going to play a little song. 
Uh, you may or may not be familiar. The three, the first three members of the Stormfront Freaks podcast uh, <laughs> uh, were it was me, Elena. I, I, I talked uh, my brother Mark Johnson, MJ, into coming on board. Yes, yes, and then we went to Mark Massaro, Maz, and we asked him, you know, because he had a weather background, if he wanted to come on board. So we were the first three, and this is the first show we've had the first three ever on. So I wasn't sure if I should play Three Amigos, <laughs> if this was maybe uh, the option to play. Or the other the other thing I was thinking was uh, if you're fans of the movie Hangover. And we're the three best friends that you anybody know, like, could have. This could we're the three best friends that anyone this was could an have. We're the three uh, best friends that Regardless, we, we got the three, uh, never, three originals never, ever, on. And, and so let's find out what they're drinking. MJ, I'm going to go to you. Yeah, of course, after all that, I'll sort of disappoint you with the fact that I've just got uh, a straight up Coca-Cola in a uh, Stormfront Freaks color changing glass. Oh, but you got the glass. Yeah, you got the glass. So that works. That works. Uh, Maz, how about you? Well, not to be even more disappointing. (laughs) Oh, wow. I'm the only one drinking tonight. But apparently, apparently I have chocolate milk upstairs. I I have no idea. (laughs) I literally just ran in, so I... You're lucky I'm dressed at the moment. Chocolate milk so, upstairs. Okay. Yeah. Well, that'll still be there wait, at break. You can head back Wait for Vanna up. White to bring it down. Vanna. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, let, let's do this. So, so now that you've, uh, you've heard the original three, let's let's get to our uh, esteemed guest who's wondering what the hell we're doing right now. Uh, Maz, I'm going to turn it over to you to introduce Ashley. We're always wondering what we're doing too. Yeah. So Ashley, don't worry. Hey, Ashley is an emergency management planner in South Central Texas. Now she assists with the creation and maintenance of disaster plans, as well as the coordination of city exercises and educational outreach campaigns. Ashley is also a weather liaison for her office. She, and this entails her week, I'm sorry, she, besides that, this entails weekly or event-oriented weather forecasting, communication with the National Weather Service out of Austin, San Antonio, cool places by the way, and weather event monitoring. Her first emergency management activation was for Hurricane Harvey this past August. Ashley received her master's in geography with an emphasis in natural hazards from Texas. I didn't even know they had that. And uh, at Texas Tech University in December of 2016. She's also a co-host on the Carolina Weather Group podcast. So welcome, Ashley. How you doing tonight? I'm doing great. Thank you so much for having me on. Awesome. So master's in geography and emphasis in natural hazards. What is all that? I know the geography side because that's where I went through. But the nat- what's, what encompasses natural hazards? Yeah. So basically natural hazards geography is basically we're, we're looking at maps, we're looking at location, but we want to see where those natural hazards are occurring. And we're tying in uh, technology such as GIS. So I did a lot of GIS mapping, learned the software, and then I was able to do um, quite a bit of research in disasters because surprisingly our our disaster researchers come out of the the natural hazards geography side of things. So my thesis that I did was on tornado social vulnerability. So I was trying to figure out um, characteristics of people and, and their demographics, how that can actually influence how prepared people are and how they respond and how they recover because demographics kind of make up our experiences and who we are. So I, I kind of used geography to be able to put that on a map. And then I was able to do some surveys and stuff to see how many people had tornado shelters, things like that. So that's kind that, of one side of what my education was. 
Well, yeah. And then the emergency manager. So is that just one aspect of being an EM or what all does an EM do? So emergency management is huge. It's, it's a, a very daunting field, I guess you could say. We're in charge of doing a lot of things. So number one, I always tell people we're responsible for preparedness, response, recovery, and mitigation when it comes to disasters, whether it's big storms, but also we have to cover the other things uh, such as man-made disasters. So hazmats, um, terrorism. So we have to be very um, open-minded and very educated on a wide variety of topics. Um, most of our disasters are natural hazards though. So that's why my background really helps with that. Uh, but I mean, being an EM, we're, we're writing plans, we're building relationships, which is the most important thing because when you have a disaster, there are so many agencies that are involved and for communication and everything to go flawlessly, you have to have those relationships. And then after that, you're doing exercises and we're, we're reaching out to the public and we're working on warning systems and making sure we have the right technologies. So it's like every day I walk in the office and I'm like, man, I've got oodles and oodles of things to do. So it's very, is this, is this Ashley, is this a growing career job opportunity wise and everything? Yes. So that's something really cool about this field too, is that, Emergency management has been around for a few decades, but it was never really defined as a specific career until 9-11. So after 9-11 kind of happened and we realized that when you have such a huge uh, incident with that kind of scale, we really need somebody to coordinate all of the responders and all of that. So, um, you know, like Homeland Security, the department was created and then we kind of funnel down from there. So uh, interestingly enough, it's been not even 20 years. So it's definitely growing. And we're still trying to define what an EM is because um, some EMs come straight from public safety. So a lot of the people, they're a police or a fireman or uh, EMT, EMS. They do that for a while and then come over. But now we're starting to see a change in EM where people are going to college and kind of studying emergency management and the techniques. And then on top of that, even more rare is people kind of going through science stuff. So going to school for meteorology, you're trying to bring the science of uh, the natural disasters into our field. So it's very growing. And I would say, you know, uh, your background can vary greatly right now, which is a great opportunity for weather people. Yeah. So I know what an EM is. That's uh, electromagnetic. So do you attract a lot of, a lot of no, Oh yeah, of course. <laughs> you know, so, it is, it is unique though, uh, that, that EMs, there's not a lot of them obviously that have a weather education that right. I'm familiar with. And I, I might be off base in, in assuming that, but the only, the ones that I'm familiar with, that's really, there's not a lot of weather education, in their background. So I, I guess why is that unique and, and how have you used that to your advantage? So kind of like what I was saying, uh, a lot of EMs come out of first response. So they understand kind of how to deal with uh, big disasters or, or incidences, and they understand the structure, um, how to kind of handle that and stuff. Uh, but a lot of them don't have that weather background. Um, and like I was saying, our, our field is so new, we're trying to define what kind of background and experience you should have. So there's no set rule on you know weather education or anything like that for now. Although there are a few uh, select handfuls of us, especially on Twitter when we talk about it, that would like to push for that. Because in my mind, coming from a weather background and, and being educated in it and, and all of that, 
I would not feel comfortable making decisions without having that background. So I think that me understanding the dynamics of weather, the formation of weather and understanding how it all works helps me feel confident in my decisions and understand what I'm making a decision for. So hopefully that will be something we can push into the field in the next decade. So what would you say percentage wise is natural and man-made versus weather when it comes to the uh, disaster side of things? Um, so could you repeat the question? Sure. So if you, if you're encompassing natural disasters, yeah. weather, man-made, what percentage is weather as opposed oh. to everything else? Sorry, I probably so, phrased it the wrong way. I would probably say 70 or 80, 30, 20, um, because we do have a lot of situations that are spills or, um, even fires, which fires are still kind of natural, but human can cause them. So there's kind of some overlap. But I would definitely say, like, the majority of the ones that we're going to be responding to are are definitely weather. Um, and that's why I think it's, number one, important to kind of teach on that, too, but then also learn the other stuff, especially, too, a big one in our field that's very new is cyber. So we're starting to see a lot of issues with uh, cybersecurity and cyber terrorism and stuff like that. Well, that's really important, especially in government, because we're using all of these uh, uh, technologies and stuff that need to be secure. And that kind of happened a few months ago in Atlanta with them getting hacked and everything. Um, so that's something, too, that we have to bring back into our preparedness box and, and learn how to plan and do all that. So, so Ashley, how, how big an area do you are you responsible for? What's, how does that work in Texas and, and, and elsewhere? So in Texas and pretty much everywhere, there are lots of different levels of emergency managers, just like there's different levels of government. So usually you'll see uh, a city level. If the city is large enough to kind of have that position, you'll have a city. And for a city, which I'm working for a city right now, you're basically in charge of your limits. So all the people that live in your jurisdiction, that's kind of where you live. And then the next step up from that's going to be your county. So the county oversees most of the rural places that aren't in a city, but they also might be in charge of the smaller towns that are really tiny, they don't quite have the funding for a position. And then their job too is they still are really crucial in city EM because as soon as we become overwhelmed in an in a incident, we have to reach out to the county and say, hey, like this fire is too big for us to handle, can you help us? And they'll start kind of coordinating with the other jurisdictions. After county, you go up to state. So um, I'm lucky living kind of so close to Austin that uh, TDEM, or the Texas Department of Emergency Management is uh, right down the road. So once again, you go up to the county, when the county's overwhelmed, they reach out to the state, the state starts to kind of coordinate, and then if the state is overwhelmed, they reach out to FEMA or the federal. So that's kind of the four different tiers of emergency management. So if you live outside the county and the state's busy, sorry guys, right? <laughs> a little bit maybe, nah. <laughs> So tell, tell us a little bit, what, what have you faced so far in your uh, uh, shorter career, obviously, in, in that role, but uh, tell us some of the things you faced down in Texas. Yeah, so uh, severe weather is obviously a big one, um, thunderstorms. Uh, my jurisdiction has a really big issue with lightning strikes with houses, and then they catch on fire. No so there kidding. was one time, really? yeah, yeah, there was one time we had just a general thunderstorm moved through. It wasn't anything special or anything, but there were seven structure fires from lightning at the same time. Wow. And 
when you start dealing with fire departments and stuff like that, like it's a lot of resources to send out to one structure fire. If you start to have seven, then yeah, they started kind of, we started getting a little ramped up because we might have to start borrowing engines from other places, but they were able to kind of get that under control. So lightning, hail, um, spin up tornadoes. Uh, that's a really big deal down here because tornadoes just don't work the same down here like they do up in the plains. They're, they're not really supercell based. Um, they're spin up real quick. Um, obviously, they're mostly lower end, but I got extremely caught off guard a few weeks ago by just this plain little thunderstorm and it, it didn't look good, like anything. And nobody really was calling for anything that day. We might have been borderline marginal and we totally had a spin up. EF1 that I think it was on the ground like 25 minutes. Wow. Wow. Yeah. And it, and and it, clipped, wow. it, it clipped my jurisdiction and moved north. And, and it, it was so small that uh, NWS had a hard time even finding it in the beginning because it was on the ground, I think, about 11 minutes before they put the warning out. So that's really tricky, severe weather down here. Yeah. Um, and then lastly, kind of wrap it up, we live in Flash Flood Alley. So flooding is a huge deal. Um, when we get tropical systems up here, we're concerned about flooding. So that's kind of where the whole Harvey experience came in because I had to kind of monitor for the inland flooding for that. So Wait, what, tell us about, I'm sorry, Mass. Tell, so tell yeah. us a little bit about Harvey. What, what was the impact for you guys and, and what did you have to step in and do? So with having the weather background, part of my job is I create weekly impact-based emails so um, I, I look at over all the weather data. I see what NWS is saying. I read their AFDs and, and things like that. I look at my own data, make sure it all makes sense. And then I kind of mold that together to make an impact-based forecast, which doesn't have any jargon. Um, I don't talk about upper you know, level lows and everything like that because our fire chiefs and, and our, the people we're working with don't care about the lingo. <laughs> they just want to know, is it going to rain? When? How much? Mm -hmm. So I kind of try to mold that for them. So I was already doing that for Harvey uh, at least a week or two in advance because we saw it out in the Gulf for a while and it looked like it wanted to kind of swing over the Yucatan and come up. So I was briefing my partners the entire time and it's my job too to coordinate with NWS and then deliver that message to my partners and the other emergency managers so I had to do a lot of conference calls for the county and give weather briefings and do all of that. So for my county, we got really lucky because we were on the cusp. Um, we had a, a, a dry slot where there was basically rain bands north of us and rain, ba rain bands south of us and a perfect little dry area <laughs> right over our county. And if that if Harvey would have moved up north a little more, we probably would have flooded out like everyone else. But we only got a handful of inches. It was less than six for sure. But forecasting that was scary because the models were, would change and flip-flop. And then the gradient from four inches to 15 inches was so close together. And I just didn't know exactly where that gradient was going to line up. So, did, did you have any flooding at all? Uh, no, we really lucked out. Okay. I mean, we got probably a little bit of street flooding and uh, some river swelling. But uh, for the most part, that break in between bands saved us. And then um, it was very a slower rainfall rate. If we would have got like the four or five inches really quick, we probably would have had a bigger deal, but it was spread out over the 24 to 36 hours. 
So as soon as we kind of saw we were going to be okay and we didn't have any existential damage or anything, we kind of shut down. But then we started shipping our resources down south because they were making the requests for that, especially like Houston and everything like that. So on event, an event like that, how many different departments and jurisdictions and all that do you then work with? Is it just insane? Like you got 17 different departments and you're like, you guys wait over here. And I'm, you know, how does that all work? It is absolutely insane. But what we try to do to, to better communication between all these departments is we have what we call is our emergency operations center, which is our EOC. So basically this is like a giant conference room where you have tables and then you will have one leader or member from an organization at each seat. So I might have a law enforcement liaison and then I'll have a fire representative, an EMS representative, public works, because we need public works, um, uh, Red Cross, they're really big. Uh, the local school district, because usually we'll use them for shelters. So like at the county I worked at, we had four tables and I think we probably had at least 36 seats. So those could all be filled up. Um, it really just depends on how big your disaster is. Um, if it's huge, obviously you're going to have more impacts and more groups. And then when you start calling in county resources and county help or state or federal, well, uh, you'll have a FEMA person in there. You'll have a state person in there. So depending how bad your disaster is, is how many departments you have to work with. But and and one, of the one of the TVs in the backgrounds on the Texas game the whole time, right? Oh, of course. <laughs> of course. Yeah. I mean, you got to have that in the background. Catch, catch the score every once in a while. Yeah. So on those big events, were you there for like, days and days had a cot in the back or how does that all work so yeah uh we prepare because we're all about preparedness we write the plans and, and we we do the drills so we are prepared in our emergency operations center to be able to do that uh, we have cots so if we had an ice storm or something and we weren't allowed or couldn't leave we have a designated area that people can get sleep um traditionally how these things work is you usually do a 12-hour shift so if we're going to activate the EOC, and that's what we started doing with Harvey, but we didn't activate until I want to say it was 6 a.m. that Saturday um, because we didn't see any impacts up here until then. So I was going to work a 6 to 6, which I did. And then the next shift would come in and do a 6 to 6. And then you would rotate. And luckily, hopefully, you have enough people to do kind of a, a 12 on, 24 off. But sometimes there are EMs that don't get sleep for 24 hours, 36 hours, which starts to get a little rough because when you get tired, you're not going to be able to make good decisions. That's right. what Pop-Tarts are for. Yeah. <laughs> well, and actually we have go kits. So I have an emergency kit that I can take in there and it has snacks and all of that stuff because I'm supposed to be prepared to be able to be in there. So Pop-Tarts is one of the things that I keep in my bag. What flavor? <laughs> what flavor? Cherry. Yes. <laughs> that's why we like you yes cherry for the win so so tell us uh what how'd you get hooked up with with the carolina weather group podcast living in texas yeah so interestingly enough i am a huge fan of twitter and using it to talk about my weather nerdism so i'm always talking about meteorology stuff weather stuff um, emergency management stuff and I think I got in a debate with another meteorologist, friendly debate, um, over social media, because I'm very passionate about the opportunities that we have with social media um, in my field, but in meteorology too. I think 
we can really use it to our advantage. So we were talking and, and it was getting a lot of hits and everything. So uh, Scotty actually reached out to me and was like, hey, like that was an interesting discussion. Like we'd like to have you on as an emergency manager because they have done a couple shows with EMs local there. Um, but he was interested in, in me being an EM down here because um, I had a little bit of a Harvey experience and then um, I just had that weather EM background. So I got to do my own interview on their show and he was like, hey, you should stick around and be a panelist. So I was like, great, because I never actually ever did a podcast great. before then. So that's kind of how I got hooked. So I'm I'm the EM rep now you're of pro. Carolina. And, yeah. you, and you were like, yeah, I don't have enough going on my plate. I think I could do that too. Right. Do yeah. you have, do you have like a down week ever in Texas as an no. EM? Well, lately it's been kind of boring. Like I'm one of those people. I don't really like the whole dry, hot weather with no clouds. Like I like storms. That's kind of why I got into the whole weather thing. So I would say the past few weeks have been pretty blah, pretty mm. boring. Um, but the thing is, is it's not as much downtime as a meteorologist would have because I can be more relaxed that there's not storms, but on the other side of that wildfires. So mm, I've been watching yes. for that because our fuel is getting really dry and, and other risks too. So like, like heat stroke and stuff like that, that we might see around here might be a big deal, especially in our vulnerable populations. So it's a little bit of a break, but you still can't be caught off guard with some of the risks that you get with that. Well, good. Well, let, uh, tell us, Ashley, and, and tell our listeners, how can they uh, find you and follow you on social media? Yeah. So like I said, I'm huge on Twitter. So you can just go ahead and find me, Ashley Morris. Um, I think it's at Miss Ashes 92. So M-I-S-S and then Ashes, A-S-H-E-S 92. What's the 92 for? Uh, the year I was born. Ah, wow. Good. Hey. <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah. You know how it is like you can never change your handle and and i yeah. made that i was very i i guess not so mature yet. whatever who I, cares? I wish i could have changed it <laughs> only <laughs> morons like me are going to ask that question anyway <laughs> so it right. doesn't matter <laughs> all right well tell you what hey it's time for our lightning round uh this is our game show of brilliant questions for our guest and uh, we always invite everybody to play along tonight we are going to play a little family feud with you ashley uh, so I've been told that you you have a pet, or you have a what? Or you like pets? What what I, what's? The... I just got a dog. So I'm ah. surprised that he hasn't made any noise yet. But, okay. Um, Good dog. Yeah, Good dog. Very cute. His name is Bandit. So he's been around for three months. Good. Okay. How and what kind of dog is it? What kind of dog is it? It's a yeah. weird mix, but he looks very much like a, a miniature border collie. But he has a weird curved tail because I actually got him from the pound, so okay. I don't have the paperwork. But I, I was going to say, when people repeat your question, what kind of dog is he? They don't know what kind of <laughs> yeah, dog it right. is. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> All right. So so good old family feud. Here's what we're going to do, Ashley. We're going to pit you uh, against our freaks, uh, which is Maz and MJ, our freaks oh, tonight. And, and MJ, you got to play. Um, oh, uh, so, so we're two separate families. So here's what we're going to do. It's just on, on one thing. It's, uh, this is from the top tens.com. It's the top 10 best house pets, the top 10 best house pets. So Ashley, I'm going to start with you to pick one. And then I'm going to go to the freaks to pick one. Who's ever, whoever gets the highest one out of the top 10 can choose to take it 
in hopes of guessing the other ones to finish it up and win it or can pass it if they're really unsure if they can figure it out before they get their three strikes. All right, so Ashley, I'll start with you. Top 10 best house pets are on the board. Uh, what do you think? Uh, let's go bird or like a parakeet. Very good. Uh, birds, that is number six right. on the list. So, Freaks, I'm going to turn over to you guys. What do you I'm, think? I'm thinking anaconda. Is that is that your answer? You, Should it be? Thanks for choosing M. <laughs> uh, there, there's no anaconda or even snake uh, on the top ten list. So Ashley, it goes to you. You can either uh, accept it, take it, and hope you get them all before three strikes, or you can pass it to the freaks, and they're going to have to do the same. Oh, so I'd have to get all of them. Right. Uh, or right, because if you don't and you get three strikes, it goes to them, and they just have to pick one that's remaining to okay, win. No, but, 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 but you heard Maz, so <laughs> right. That's true. Well, that's why she's passing. I think. Right. All right. So she is passing. So freaks, you've got uh, still nine on the board. Uh, birds are gone at number six. Well, Give me got, another one. Top ten go best go house pets. Dogs. Yeah, dogs. It's gotta be dogs. Dog. Dogs is number one on the list. Nice. Good job. I, I don't have no clue why neither one of you guys got dogs when well, the, the yeah. especially the one with the I new puppy, Ashley. Like I was thinking okay. it was like a trick question. Like, no, okay. Yeah, it is. Okay. okay, you know, we would be remiss if we didn't think of Brady and say cats. Yeah, that's right. Cats, cats is number two on the list. So you got dogs, cats, and birds are off. Very good. Next up. Wait, what do you think, man's rabbits? Yeah, I'm going to toss it in there. All right. Rabbits. Rabbits is third, so you're one, two, three. You're going right down the list. Good job. Uh, fish. Yep. Fish. Fish is ten. You got Ooh. number ten. Last one on the list, so you still have four, five, seven, eight, and nine on the board. Top ten best house pets. Uh, it's like turtles or something. Like that? Turtles. Let's go with turtles. Turtles is nine. Very good. All right. Turtles over fish, really? Yeah, turtles okay. is nine, fish ten. I guess I, they I just sit there, you know. Do All people, right, so so you got four, five, seven, and eight. Do people have guinea pigs still? Try yeah, that. good one. Guinea pigs is number seven. Good one, good You're one. You're ripping them off here. Yeah, uh, no strikes yet. Four, five, and eight on the board. Um, spiders. Huh? No, no spiders. First yeah, strike. I step on them anyway. <laughs> That'd be a bad house bet. So snakes. <laughs> Snakes wasn't there. How about no. how about lizards? Lizards, lizards, number five on the list. Ooh. Very good. So you're down to four and eight. Four and eight. What's number four? With one strike. Did we do? Oh, is iguana a lizard? It is, isn't it? Yeah, I think so. All right. Um... <laughs> Crock. Oh wow. Um, I don't know. Clock is ticking. Yeah. Uh, we're gonna. Uh... Oh, that's your second strike. You got one more. One more. Four and eight are still open. Hamster. Oh, good one. Hamster's number four. You're <laughs> down to number eight left on the board. Oh, boy. oh uh, potbelly pig. There you go. <laughs> that is the what? third strike. It is not it. So, Ashley, it goes back to you. Finally, if you can Ashley guess what number eight is, you get all the points. If not, it's going to go back to the freaks. What's number eight? What's What are we the missing? Only thing I can think of was like a ferret. That is it. Uh, it was number eight was ferret. <laughs> you got it. That's amazing. 
She was Googling. All right, so that was good. You got dogs, cats, rabbits, hamsters, lizards, birds, guinea pigs, ferrets, turtles, and fish. Uh, very impressive, but Ashley, way to pull it out at the end. That was impressive. Yeah, I was yeah. kind of sweating it. They were on a roll. That that was very – I and I was sweating it too after the way they were going. That was uh, not bad at all. So anyway, great job, Ashley. Uh, thanks for playing along. Uh, Maz, I'm going to ask you this. What, what are you doing Saturday, October 27th? Uh, curving pumpkins, I'm guessing. Okay. Well, that, that's one thing you can do. Uh, I would recommend, (laughs) (laughs) I I would recommend you make plans now to attend the first mid Atlantic chaser con at the science museum of Virginia in Richmond, uh, storm chasers and weather freaks like us will love the lineup of speakers and includes former guests on our show. Uh, Catherine Prosiv and Ian Livingston are a couple of the guests that will actually be speaking there, as well as local TV meteorologists and uh, legendary storm chasers. And Mid-Atlantic, Ashley, some of your uh, Carolina weather guys might might be dropping in as well. So visit midatlanticchasercon.com. I know that's a mouthful, but midatlanticchasercon, one word, dot com. Uh, you can get more details there. You can register there. It's only $25. They're not allowing walk-ups, uh, so make sure you hurry and register before they sell out. All right, we're going to take uh, our short break. If you're listening to the audio podcast, uh, you get to hear the Titan U Minute with Chris Sanner. Uh, stay right here. We'll be back with Ashley and the guys to talk about hurricane and disaster communication and what the heck are Voss groups. And now it's time for the Titan U Minute. With Chris Sanner. Last week on social media, I threw out a term that got a few questions and a frontal. So today on the Titan U Minute, let's take a bit of time to discuss the two different types of cold fronts in detail. You may or may not be surprised to learn that not all cold fronts are equal, and there are two main types of fronts which we look for, and these have differing impacts on storm and precipitation formation. These types of cold fronts are anafronts and catafronts. Anafronts occur when surface winds and upper level winds both are roughly more parallel to the front. Warm and moist air ahead of the front overruns the colder air at the surface, which causes clouds and precipitation to form well behind the leading edge of cold air at the surface. Because of this, storms are typically elevated and behind the cold front. Catafronts, on the other hand, tend to be drier overall when surface winds weaken relative to strong upper level winds, moist air overrunning the cold front and causing lift is cut off. This causes a big downtick of storm activity, sometimes completely eliminating it. Sometimes the only sign a catafront has passed through is a change in wind speed and a drop in temperatures as the sensible weather otherwise is unchanged. So hey, I've got this new series out called Wild Weather. We just released our fourth episode, a countdown of my favorite lightning shows ever. You can find Wild Weather on the Tornado Titans YouTube channel. Simply search Tornado Titans and you'll find us. Also, be sure to check out Titan U on TornadoTitans.com. We'll see you next time. All right, well, hey, welcome back, everybody. Um, One of the biggest challenges I think faced in the event of a disaster is communicating recovery efforts to the public that's affected, whether it's uh, rescue, locating family, pet care, 
closed zones. Uh, I'm sure insurance claims are in there, traffic issues, uh, getting this important information to the emergency personnel and the public affected is always a coordinated effort. So what, one of the things I wanted to talk about a little bit is to find out what, what are some of the methods that have been used in the past to try and communicate following, whether it's a big hurricane or, or something of that nature, what, what are some of the methods used and you know, where are we going and how are we getting better, especially getting into eventually talking uh, with Ashley about Vost groups. But Maz, I'm going to start with you and, and your background. Because I'm old. Um, we're yes. going to go back in yeah, time, yeah, right? That's to, usually how to it be works. honest, yeah. <laughs> um, we're pull a little Huey Lewis. We're going back in time. And we're going to find out. I, I want to know it, television and your role as a tel television meteorologist. What, what were some of the things? Did you guys ever discuss that, like following any kind of disaster or weather mm -hmm. issue, flooding, tornadoes, stuff like that? How did you, how were you involved in getting the word out to the public, especially knowing if there could be maybe power outages going on in the area and they couldn't see TV. How, how was that involved? Well, at that point in time, because it was, it was always the media, the, the um, TV and radio, but mainly TV in the beginning, um, they, were, they were on high alert. It was wall-to-wall, 24-7. I don't even think back in the day when we had sign-off times, they were staying on just because like after a big tornado with the cleanup, they're constantly updating what's happening. And then part of your group, your audience is without power. So you're still, you don't know really who is hearing you or seeing you and who isn't. Um, so was they that, just, was that word getting to you at all about like who was, who, what areas had power, didn't have power. Like, was that any of the information you guys had? It, yeah, it would trickle in because the news department would always contact, uh, you know, up here it's Duke energy, but, uh, wherever in whatever city you're in the local power district, they would always have somebody a, a department at the power district. That would be the liaison for the media. And so they would, you know, do their best as people call in and they figure out where stuff is. And we'd, yeah, at the bottom, we'd have like, you know, you know, 220,000 people without power, 300,000, 350,000, whatever it was, it kept going up. And, and then it, you don't get the full ramifications until you realize three days later, you're still doing this. People are without power, which means no, no refrigeration, people with medications that need to be refrigerated, people who need electricity. Right. Now you start getting all the ancillary problems. So the, the news crews were just on high alert. And of course, the power districts were constantly pulling people in from all over the country, trying to get you know back up on the grid as fast as possible. Were, were was, you guys, were you remotely, was the TV station remotely then starting to send people to the, the locations affected? Mm -hmm. as oh, well? yeah. Yeah. And in the beginning, initially when the severe weather or whatever was going on, you're on the air in the studio with the reporters out there. But as the next day wears on, they would start to send the weather people out to see if they can kind of, without stepping on the weather services toes, get a feel for, you know, is was this an EF3, a four? What do we think it was? And a lot of times we're very careful about what to say. We always wanted to coordinate with the weather service. And I will tell you, most TV stations have a great rapport with the weather service and vice versa. There can always be a rogue station who decides to go out on their own. They're like, oh, look what they're saying, you know. But um, it was really just, you're anybody, anything you could think of, you're dealing with the airports, you're just con pet shelters. I remember when I was in um, uh, Florida one time for Hurricane Floyd, uh, it was wall-to-wall -wall coverage. And we, and we were talking about, you know, what do you do with your horses? And it was one of those things where I'm like, 
we don't have a lot of horses in Cincinnati. You know, that's more down towards Lexington. So it was, it was a, a very big learning experience for all the things in those areas that they would deal with that we don't normally deal with where we were. And so we were actually called down. We were the sister station of uh, WPBF in West Palm, and they would pull people from up here to come down and help them out. Mm. Yeah. So, so Maz, did the, did the emergency personnel seek you out to get information out, or did you have to go to them? I think it was always coordinated through the news department. And so they would have usually like the assistant news director would be the one who is the big branching out individual. And so then they would come to us and ask our opinion, but there's always a person in the newsroom that was the liaison for everybody. And cause you had to have a chief, you know, just like uh, Ashley being an EM, she had to be the chief there making the decisions on who's going to do what and all of that. I I'm kind of curious cause I'm trying to remember when did EMs first start? Yeah, I, I'm just, I don't remember that. So like I said, um, there was technically some EM positions in the 60s with kind of, or the 60s, 70s, 80s with uh, Cold War and, and the whole, you know, that's where sirens started, right? Mm -hmm. uh, it was air, air threats. So there were, were people who were kind of coordinating that, but it really didn't become a big thing until after 2001 with the mm -hmm. whole September 11th thing. So after then, we've really grown a lot because, like I said, that's when Homeland Security was kind of developed and we've just started being more prepared and proactive to try to stop things than just reactive because our first responders are more reactive, right? They run to the crime or they run to the threat. So then we started kind of going the other way and then teaching them to do that, too. And so we have prevention and uh, preparedness programs now. So. It's crazy too, by the way, when it, when that's all going on, I can only imagine what it's like actually in your office with everybody there. Cause I knew what it was like in the TV stations. There's literally people like running down the hallways and you know, someone slips and papers go flying and they're trying that that's just the way it was. Yeah, definitely. And, and like I said earlier, it's the biggest challenge is coordinating all the people and communication and then making sure that you're getting the right message out to people. So we actually have procedures and stuff to try to help the media because the media is a huge player in getting our information out. So we have a PIO, which is a uh, public information officer, usually for the city, that will also be in the EOC. And their job is to say, okay, what do you want me to tell the media? Like, what do you want me to release to the public? What, what should we release now? And what should we maybe hold on to? So usually we'll tell them and then they formulate like a pretty little, like either a presser or they, they actually do the interview. Um, and then they send that to the media and usually we'll have like press releases and, and those pressers where the media can go and listen. What but those are pretty. You said those are pretty. <laughs> well, like that's an official term. I'd say they're pretty because they're very good at formulating that message. Like we so, might kind of stumble around with what's going on, but their, their statements are always perfect. So. Ashley, what's something you guys might not or might hold back for a little bit? Um, something to kind of hold on might be if we're just not certain of things. So we obviously don't want uh, any sensitive information to get out. Uh, maybe that might be names of victims or that might be victim numbers. We don't want to misinform the public. So if we're starting to get word of something, maybe fatality numbers or stuff like that, we're going to hold on to that direct number until we can confirm. And you kind of see that a lot with a lot of these really big incidences is sometimes numbers get out and it's not really accurate. 
So we just want the public to trust what we're saying. So we would rather kind of hold back on some of the stuff until we're certain to release that, than release it and then it'd be completely false. So it wouldn't be something like, so should we tell them it was a Sharknado? Or, or what should... <laughs> no, no. I think that we would definitely say <laughs> Sharknado. <laughs> so, so Ashley, what, what have been some of the uh, most effective means of communication, whether it's to the emergency personnel or whether it's just to the general public? What have, what's been effective and, and what are some of the methods that haven't been so effective, in, in your opinion? So with communications, it's uh, very complicated. And um, if you sit in an AAR, or that's also known as an after action review. So I've got all these acronyms. Holy yes, cow. Yes. I'm trying to take notes. I'm exactly. very impressed. Too yeah. many, too many acronyms. But if you send an AAR after an event, because that's what we do, we work an event or an incident, we get in a room afterwards a couple weeks later and we say, okay, like what went wrong? What, what went right? What are some things we need to change? Like maybe our emergency plan had some holes in it and we thought that it was going to go different. So it's kind of like our assessment period. But every single AAR from every single incident will always tell you communication is an issue. It doesn't really matter what kind of new technology we have. I think it's just kind of the challenge of, like I said, you have so many organizations and so many people and you're dealing with a very stressful, high impact event. It's just going to be very challenging to communicate. So we have a lot of technology and options for that, but um, a lot of them fail sometimes or there's still just gaps in that. Uh, for first responders, it's always going to be their handheld radio. So we have those radios that they use every day for their other calls, but we try to make them to where they're interoperable. So if the county has a radio and the city has a radio and they're both out there, we want them to be able to hear each other because that was a huge deal with September 11th too, is um, there was issues between agencies, especially like police and fire, they couldn't hear each other. They couldn't get the channels right. And when you can't coordinate, then it's it's very dangerous for people who are out there. Um, there were a lot of firefighters at 9-11 that didn't get the message to leave the building. And they had a lot of fatalities because of that. Um, so radios are our go-to for that. And we try our best. But in every incident, there's always a little bit of holes with that. Ashley, do you do you have a statewide initiative or is it already implemented in Texas for interoperability of those kinds of communication? So I'm still kind of new in the whole EM thing, so I'm not exactly certain of the exact conduct rule or, or anything. But I know that that is something that we hammer home a lot and we work really closely with like Motorola and the different companies that are doing those things to test them and, and make sure that they're all working. And another big thing True. about that, too, is just doing exercises. So those are like big fancy drills where we pretend that something's happening and we're on our radios and we're coordinating it to test our plan and everything. So it's important that we do that kind of thing too, to see how our radios are going to do. But even then, I mean, if we lose transmitters and stuff, it gets really tough. And, and right. we do prepare for that. And we have a great county communications department who they can go out there and put it up and they, they, they have mobile platforms. And then on top of that, we have a great team of volunteers that are ham radio people. So they're in the Aries or the Racies program. So we actually have a spot in the EOC for them too. So if all else fails, we have ham radio. So yep, tell us, oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. MJ. No, I was just gonna say, I was gonna ask you about that too, if that still plays a role in, in, 
you know, your communication plan or not, because we, we've had a couple of people with amateur radio background on before asking, you know, and, t- and talking about that a little bit. Yeah, definitely. And uh, honestly, they still play a huge role in being active spotters. So a lot of them will activate during severe weather, go out and they'll get those reports because a, a couple of nights ago, we had another one of those rogue storms come through on a borderline marginal day that nobody really thought anything would happen. And I was able to get, I think a, a fence blew down and it was their report. So we're very thankful that they have a passion and the ability to do that. And I'm actually, I got halfway done with it, but I'm trying to get my intro, like my introduction, uh, I don't know what it's really called license, I guess. Te- technician license. Go yeah, for yeah, it. Yeah. Yeah. So I got halfway through it, but I got kind of caught up last summer. I couldn't actually test out, but I'm hoping this year I'll be able to get that. Cause I just think that it's really important that we understand how it works and how to use it. If we need to have it. MJ, you should hold her accountable just to make sure she gets that done. Yeah, we'll do that. <laughs> All right. <laughs> so, so then let's do this, Ashley, let's jump to Vost groups, V O S T. Uh, one of the reasons we wanted to have you on was talk a little bit about this, but w- w- what what is a, a Vost group, uh, and and why is this something that's uh, really starting to be popular? Yeah, so Vost actually stands for the Virtual Operations Support Team, and I guess apparently it was actually an emergency management idea. So. Um, somebody got in a room and and came up with this idea that we can make a team of people to actually use social media to data mine or search through tweets and posts for damage reports, because we know human nature. If you get golf ball size hail and it's pelting your windows and it breaks through and it's all over your floor, they're going to take a picture and put it on Twitter, right? They're not going to call the weather service. So this idea has really kind of molded into this great, team community aspect that the weather service actually picked up. And I heard about it in school because our local weather service office in Lubbock wanted to make a team. And so our job was to be trained on spotting and understanding uh, basically what radar depictions look like, what clouds look like, how to be able to tell scud from tornadoes. Mm. So understanding all that. And then during severe weather, we would actually data mine. So you can actually go into Twitter and you can put GPS points because people have location tagged to their tweet. You can put the GPS and then you can also look for posts that say tornado or damage and you can search through everybody. And basically it will mine out all the data within the GPS point, within the range with people who are talking about tornado or damage or hail or whatever. So our job was to search through those find the good ones, make sure that they were vetted and actually accurate and they weren't, you know, photoshopped or something. And then the team lead of the team would confirm it. They had an NWS chat chat account and they would actually send that to NWS. So it helps them with their warnings. So if they saw, oh, look, severe hail, we don't have a warning out yet. We just got this photo. We can warn it. Or it helps their verification process because they still have to get those verifications for their warnings. So I kind of learned about boss through them, but then I realized as an emergency manager, how important it is to have that as a kind of like your eyes on the ground of what's going on. So I've used it for other kind of incidences too, just to monitor what's going on. So what's part of the verification process. So when you say someone's responsible for looking through all this, verifying it's accurate, legit, all that kind of stuff, what's that process and how does that sometimes delay 
getting that information out? So, like I said, um, all team members will sit through a training, usually taught by NWS, just going through, uh, this is what a good reputable report and picture looks like. This is not a good report. And then there's actually a lot of really cool resources online called like Tenai or um, Google Images or reverse images or something where you mm -hmm. can actually put those pictures in and it'll show you like, hey, this is a repost. Because we all know like there are those tornadoes that go around and it's like, oh, look, right. this tornado. It's, so, it's like a storm spotter class, only it's like a weather fool spotter class or something. <laughs> How to bit. spot the morons that are putting bad crap on online. Ashley, are, I was going to say, are you guys using any AI in that process? Or is it just just the regular programming? I mean, do you do you foresee in the future that being a job being kind of farmed out to AI? Or I definitely could because I actually worked with a professor in my department who he did that. He would data mine tweets based on code and then would do research on them. I think one was uh, the movement of flu. So he took all the tweets with people saying I'm sick with the flu. And then was able to take the date and everything and then put that in GIS and it would actually show how it spread hmm. like, throughout the country. Oh, that's cool. So I think that it definitely could be uh, AI in the future. And I also think that uh, there are companies that are charging now. So you can actually contract with someone who will work for you and do it for you. Hmm. Um, but I really think that being able to see it yourself helps with your decision making and everything else and verification. So I got to ask you a question about this and it, maybe it goes in with what we're talking about at the moment, but it was actually from before and, and maybe you can, and maybe you shouldn't answer this question. I don't know, but if it came to like a, a major hurricane or a major uh, cyber attack, which do you guys kind of fear more? And, and again, if you're like, yeah, I don't really want to answer that. That's okay. Well, I mean, I could just answer from probably a general uh, emergency management perspective. Um, I actually just saw an article on Twitter, and I don't remember who posted it or anything, but people in general actually fear natural disasters more than terrorism or cyber attacks or anything combined. Mm. So I don't know if that's kind of exposure or like we like we kind of talked earlier, it's just it, it happens more often. Um, for us... I guess I would be concerned about cyber because we haven't seen it often. So we're planning for it and, and we work with resources from FBI and stuff, obviously, but uh, because technology is so new and then we have a lot of people too, it kind of varies uh, how technologically savvy your EM is. It would be kind of tough, I would think, because even I don't really feel like 100% confident with trying to do um, planning for that as compared to like tornadoes. I, I understand storms, but coding and stuff gets tricky. Yeah, but you know what Snapchat is, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so last question, what what do you see as, as the future of, of Vost and how that can be used? So Vost is just so great because, like I said, if you train your community, it gives your community opportunity to give back, and they're always wanting to do that. So you can get involved with your community and they can actually help you. And it's a free uh, option for you to get Intel. Uh, so personally, like I would like to make a county team. So when I have an incident going on, I can have a representative in my EOC. They're pulling up reports. I'm seeing, okay, it is flooding there. Or we do have a, a huge crash over there. And I can 
make my decisions faster based on this intel because it's harder to wait and sit back uh, for people to call dispatch or call the weather service because people don't do that anymore. They kind of just go straight to social media. Hmm. So right. Right. I think that there's so much growth and I can't wait to see what we can do in Texas because it's actually, it's not too utilized here yet. It's kind of more on the coasts. So. Okay. Well, we always ask our listeners uh, what they think of the subject. So uh, go ahead and let us know. Email us at questions at stormfrontfreaks.com or find us on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram and tag us your thoughts uh, so we can share that on the next show. We're going to go ahead and take our final break. You can refill your drink. And when we come back, it's time to share some WX resources and find out how you can prevent weather fools. Hi, I'm Dr. Elizabeth Austin, author of Treading on Thin Air, and you are listening to the Stormfront Freaks podcast. All right, welcome back. Time now for WX Resources on our episode 55 resources places you can go and find out new technology new sites with information that's weather related and uh we're going to kick things off first with phil so you have a new well, one I, yeah what i want to cover first off so our last episode number 54 uh that we had uh, we had uh, janice dean from uh fox and friends and fox news was on and she is also the author of uh, freddie the Frogcaster. we talked a little bit about that um, I w discovered this only on Twitter recently, and MJ is actually sh holding up one of the books. Yeah, um, there is if if you have an iPhone or iPad on at the Apple Store, there is a Freddy the Frogcaster app, which is great for kids because uh, number one, it it gives you the forecast, so it gives you I don't know I can't remember it was three or four days out, uh, but it gives Freddy gives you the forecast for your area. Uh, but there's also just some cool kid things on there. You can color. There's some coloring stuff. I think there's some puzzles or games you can play. Uh, but Freddy the Frogcaster has his own app, and I just thought that was fitting since we just had uh, Janice on. So just if you have an uh, iPhone, go to the Apple Store. Awesome. Thank you, Phil. All right, Ashley, I'm excited because I hear you've got one for us for tonight. Yeah, have? I do. So I just recently learned about this resource and it's a NOAA product, but it's called NWS's Enhanced Data Display or EDD for short. And it's still an experimental product, but it's really great. And I could probably actually screen share if y'all want. You guys yeah, want to see go it? For it. Okay. Sure. Let, let's take a look. Let's take a look. And, and Maz, that's NOAA, N-O-A-A, not N-O-A-A. You make one mistake. Just, right. just yeah, wanted no. to double check. All right, can you guys see? Yeah, yes. yeah, we yeah, can. Yeah, so basically this is kind of the platform that it is and you can see everything from here. So it has radar, satellite, uh, your hazards, which we don't really have much going on, but you can zoom out. Um, you have tropical stuff. So there's tropical. Um, what I really love is the forecast and then the observations that you can put on here. So like, it's basically all of your data in one place. And my favoriteest, favoriteest thing about this is uh, if your local office has it connected, you can actually see the model spread. 
Mm. So this is the model spread for, um, we're looking at Georgetown for max maximum temperature. So you can see there's mm. a low model spread for temperature here, but uh, in between Sunday and Monday, there's a high spread uh, variation between models. And you can actually see the models and the, the differences of all the models that the Weather Service looks at. Hmm. So that's kind of cool. It's that so, cool. yeah, it's so cool. So this kind of has everything because you can even find your SPC outlooks out here too. Um, it's great. So, and it's free. So I recommend using it. Uh, the guy that coded this is really nice and he works for the weather service up North. So, and he's a billionaire, cool. right? Uh, <laughs> a government actually, billionaire, whatever yeah. that is. Right? I think he, I think he actually did this as a fun side project because you know, a lot of those coders are kind of like that. Um, they're, they just kind of do it for fun. So this was kind of his side project, but it's amazing. And I really hope that it gets a little more uh, push with people using it. So very cool. For yeah. sure. Did you have a, it almost looked like a tropical storm moving up like towards Baja. Was that real time from before? Or was that something that was left over? Uh, I believe it, it on there. is. That's current. Yeah. Wow. Okay. I believe yeah, it's there's... the one that just formed off down there. I can't remember its name. It's right. B, right? E, I don't remember the name either. Remember either. I, I do know it's it's coming up there. Uh, yeah, in the Pacific side of things. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you, Ashley. All right, uh -huh. Phil, you're like moving. It. You got two tonight. Well, so I do have two. I, I just wanted to uh, mention this. It's actually a, a Twitter follow that I recommend uh, as a WX resource. Um, and the, the guy is uh, Stu Ostro. He's uh, with the Weather Channel. It's at Stu, S-T-U, Ostro, O-S-T-R-O. And uh, he, I just recently, it's been mentioned before. I, I know his name's been mentioned before on our show, but I just recently have seen a couple different tweets that he's put out that just kind of made me go, wow, I haven't seen that before, or I haven't seen it analyzed that way before. There was actually one of the things he tweeted. Ashley, I don't know if you saw this, but there was uh, colliding thunderstorm systems down in Texas where one was going west to east, the other was kind of going east to west, and they, they kind of merged. It, the one just kind of sucked the other one up and swallowed it, but, but he looked at it with a couple different uh, radars, a couple different things. I was like, wow, well, that's cool. But it's also uh, he, he did a great job of uh, looking at it in a unique way. So I just think he'd be a great follow uh, if you're on Twitter. That's at Stu Ostro. Awesome. Thanks, Phil. And in case you uh, anybody missed any of those sites, you can go and find them on episode 55, show notes of stormfrontfreaks.com in the weather resources. Okay, MJ, you've been quiet. Time now to talk about weather fools. Oh, you know, I've had a few things to say, but uh, <laughs> I, uh, you know, I, I, this is definitely Brady's favorite part of the show because he always says it is. Yeah, that's uh, true. That, that is weather fools. And that's where we take a look at some people who maybe weren't as intelligent as they should have been uh, dealing with the weather. So, uh, Phil, I think you have a couple for us tonight. I've actually got a couple. It, you know, if you're really looking, it's never that hard to find weather fools, uh, especially on social media. Uh, but both of mine tonight uh, come from social media. One's going to come from Twitter, and uh, I'm going to go ahead and share this with everybody. But it uh, it came from uh, at Coach Floyd 33. So Coach Floyd, F L O Y D 33, and uh, <laughs> what he shared was he had a picture of of beautiful uh, lightning image uh, from the beach or from his I don't know from his deck overlooking the the ocean. 
and it's a beautiful lightning shot. If you can see it, there's a nice stroke of lightning there over the ocean. But if you also look, there's a silhouette of three people standing on the beach watching the lightning strike. Yes, there is. <laughs> <laughs> Go, you know, I, and who knows? It, it would be fun to make that a meme or to um, play that out, play out their discussion, you know, like what they're talking about while they're standing on the beach at night watching this lightning <laughs> storm not all that far away from them. So, uh, so that's my, my uh, first one are, are those three people standing on the beach and the uh, caption this, is caption is how does sand turn into glass on the beach right? <laughs> that's right oh, that looked kind of close uh the other one comes from facebook uh and it's nathan moore who i believe uh i believe and i i shouldn't say this because i i it's a, i think kind of deal but i think nathan moore, moore is a storm chaser but he was out uh chasing a storm and on his facebook post I'm going to share with you the video that he had. Um, he was uh, sitting in his car, and he said, yes, I was chasing. I'm sitting in a tornado warning, enjoying the moment when this happened. So I'll play the video. And uh, they're watching the lightning in the background, and their, their headlights are on this <laughs> dirt road. And there's this guy driving in his tractor, mowing the side of the road. And he says, balls of steel. <laughs> because this guy is just, he doesn't even have lights on his tractor. He's just in the middle of the night. There's this lightning storm. They're in a tornado warning. And he's just mowing the side of the road uh, with his tractor. So I don't know the name of the guy, but uh, he is he is definitely my, yeah, my weather <laughs> he fool. He didn't need headlights. No, there's oh, plenty of lightning. lightning to light it up for him. So very so good. Go. Thanks. Oh, thanks. Thanks, Phil. And we, so we have a theme tonight because I actually, you know, I don't usually have weather fools and weather resources, but I, I did have one ready tonight. And then I see that we got a couple of them that deal with lightning. Um, and mine is one that you kind of have to hear and I don't, I you won't hear it if I play it. So I'll, I'll just tell about it real quick, but um, it's, it's Daniel Modal from Jersted, Norway. Mm -hmm. And it's, uh, you know, it's the typical thing. He's standing out in his backyard uh, taking a video of lightning, uh, which is great until the lightning strikes five meters away. And oh, you, will, you will see debris fly across the front of the screen and you'll hear it. And that's why you have to hear it. It's one of those that's, uh, you know, visual, but also audio. You'll hear it and you'll hear his reaction to it. And it's, it's, it's pretty funny, except for the fact that he cheated death on that one, I think, because it was awfully close. Is, is it family friendly audio? Uh, it, it is, yeah. The, okay, I, okay. At least I didn't wow, hear that's, anything. That's impressive. Yeah, I didn't hear anything that was. Does he scream bad, so. or bark? I thought I heard a bark. He, he, did, he did make that. He did make some sounds, yes. Um, but yeah, so anyway, so make sure you go to uh, stormfrontfreaks.com, find the episode 55 show notes. Uh, and you'll get to see all these videos and see the reaction that uh, Daniel has when uh, lightning strikes extremely close to him. So uh, that was our weather fools, right? That that's it. So uh, right, and then good. it's you're you're up so, again. Uh, yeah, you got two segments in a row with our listener questions because la last episode and we edited this <laughs> out, but uh, your your mic was giving you Mr. Roboto, Max Headroom, and you got to be old like me to know who Max to know Headroom who those was. Are. But uh, yeah, and Mr. Roboto. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, those are lost on some folks. Uh, <laughs> but yes, so I had a few audio difficulties last time. Sorry about that, everybody. Uh, we do have a few uh, responses from folks. Uh, Frederick James, uh, he's the, I think he works with uh, 
East Central Indiana Skywarn, I believe. And they were doing a Facebook Live uh, with a couple of people. And, and it was a uh, meteorologist from one of the television stations. And he gave us a little shout out on their Facebook Live to uh, stormfrontfreaks.com. So we certainly appreciate that. Awesome. Yeah, for sure. Um, Jay Farlow, one of our friends, uh, emailed us a resource suggestion. So that's something that you might find on the uh, stormfrontfreaks.com site as well. Uh, Aaron tweeted, another great episode. Love the addition of mean tweets. So we'll have to bring that mm. one back uh, with the, when we have some of the guests on. Uh, Jenny Pratt emailed us at info at stormfrontfreaks.com. And Jenny said, kudos to all the freaks for putting out the best weather podcast out there. Although, you know, I love them. Uh, our, our, you know, along with Carolina weather group. That's right. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's right. But, uh, uh, Jenny says just finished binge watching the whole collection of episodes during my commute to and from work. Sorry about that from somebody We're, earlier. She working like Siberia. What the heck? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> but as a weather enthusiast with not much of a science background, I have learned so much and had great fun doing it. So thank you, Jenny. And those are our listener comments for tonight. Ha Ashley, you don't ever get like mean tweets to you, do you? No. Uh, yeah, I, I would have struggled, I think, to find yeah. mean tweets for Ashley. We, we, we're going to have to save that for our national public audience, uh, I think, crew. I don't think if, that's something we can pull every show. If somebody's mean to you, Ashley, you just move your county border and now they're not in your jurisdiction anymore. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> yeah. Easy, Hopefully easy. Hopefully not. All right. Well, hey, I think that just about does it for this episode of Stormfront Freaks Podcast. Thanks for listening and watching. Uh, before I share the reveal of our next guest, if you enjoy our show, please do us a favor. Leave us a great review on your podcast app. And don't forget to subscribe to the show. All you got to do is just hit that uh, little podcast app subscribe button. It probably pops up on your phone. Uh, this works just like a magazine or a newspaper subscription. It just assures the latest show is going to get delivered right to your podcast inbox uh, the moment we release it. So uh, you'll be the first to get it. I want a uh, special thanks to our guest tonight, Ashley. Thanks so much, Ashley. Very nice. Thank you for having me. For coming on. We definitely appreciate it. And our next episode in two weeks, we'll be recording on June 28th with Brantley Hargrove. He's the author of the book, The Man Who Caught the Storm, The Life of Legendary Tornado Chaser, Tim Samaras. So we'll give him the, the Stormfront Freaks treatment because he has been on, uh, I have listened, he's, he's been on a couple uh, weather podcasts, but he hasn't been on Stormfront Freaks That's yet. That's right. <laughs> there we go. So we'll give him, uh, he'll give him the Freaks treatment. Uh, if you'd like to watch the recording live, it's at 9 o'clock Eastern, 8 Central. Uh, on that Thursday, just check out our YouTube channel, by searching storm front freaks what is the freaks treatment uh, <laughs> you know if you don't know by now on the 55th episode all right you're, you're still you're still gonna you're still gonna be struggling to find that but all right so for mj and for maz and for ashley uh, i'm gonna go ahead and signal the all clear and we'll catch you guys next time See adios you. good night thank you for listening to the Stormfront freaks podcast to subscribe and be notified when new episodes of our bi-weekly show are available, you can go to Apple Podcasts on iTunes, Google Play, or your favorite podcast app and search for Stormfront Freaks. If you would like to contact us with questions or make comments about the show, shoot us an email to questions at stormfrontfreaks.com or follow us on Twitter at Stormfront Freak. We'd love to hear from you. 
For show notes, additional information about this episode, as well as past and upcoming shows, videos, photos, and more, visit our website at stormfrontfreaks.com. While you're there, check out the interactive radar provided by our friends at zoomradar.com. And don't forget to follow us on Facebook at facebook.com slash stormfrontfreaks. Join us next time and tell a friend about the Stormfront Freaks podcast.